Good afternoon. I'm glad you came back. Thanks, Rangi. That was a beautiful... Did you enjoy that? Uh, for those of you who don't know, Rangi is a young preacher in this church. He's one of the few guys I know that can, after he's preached, sing a song. And uh, I've always wished I could do that, Rangi. But one thing I can guarantee you while I'm pastor of this church is that you won't be blessed if that would be the word, with music from me after I preach. <laughs> the Lord just didn't give me one of those voices. And, and perhaps, uh, you know, I have heard that as you serve Jesus, Rangi, that he will add gifts to you. So perhaps one day the Lord will give me that gift of singing. But I suspect it won't be till we get up there. But I enjoyed that and thanks, Rangi. And it was a beautiful song, beautiful words that, that really do... Uh, encapsulate where I want to take you this afternoon. Well, before we start, and I have entitled this uh, program Revelations Rapture, but before we go any further, I'd like to ask the presence of the Lord here one more time. And so I'd like to invite you, if you would, to bow your heads and we will talk to the Lord God of heaven. God of the heavens, King of the universe, you who is in control of this planet, we come before you this afternoon and we just want to ask that in a very real way you'll be here, that you will help us to understand this Bible study and that we will be drawn closer to you and want to follow you to escape the things that are to come. This is our prayer, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Revelation's rapture, it's an interesting subject. In fact, one of the more interesting, I think, that the Bible has to present to us. Before we get into it, though, and I, I would like to just make a comment. We're going to look at some fairly serious things this afternoon. But right from the start, I'd just like to tell you, and I know this from my own experience, and I believe it, Jesus Christ is in control of things on our earth. I know sometimes the earth seems to be a wild, dangerous, out of control place. But I want to let you know tonight, before we even start this Bible study, that Jesus is in control. And it gives me great peace. And it gives me great hope for the future. When I see things as I've seen this week, when I see the world reeling from natural disasters, reeling from war and crime and wickedness, it gives me great peace of heart to know that the God that I chose to serve when I was 26 years of age, I don't want to really want to tell you how long I've been serving the Lord now, but suffice to say that in a couple of weeks I turned 42. Lord's been the saviour of my life for quite some time and I want to tell you it gives me great peace to know that the God that I kneel down and pray to, that the God I read about in the Bible is in control of this earth. As I said, it may seem at times that he is not, but he is in control and at his time, in his way, he will bring the sadness and the heartache and the disasters and the troubles to an end. And that's what we're going to speak about this afternoon. You know, I don't think I'd be going too far by saying that thinking people in the world today are worried. Are you sometimes worrying? 
about where you see the world headed. And as I was putting this program together, it seemed to me that here in Australia, the good land, we have much to worry about. There is at the moment a crippling drought. And I don't know whether you realise it, but here in Sydney, this beautiful city, it's just not raining. Are you seeing that? I was reading the Sydney Morning Herald just the other day. I get up out of bed and I I read the Sydney Morning Herald every day. And as I was reading it, I came across an article that said that this last month, August 2005, was the fourth driest month since they have began taking rainfall indicators at the Weather Bureau. The fourth driest month, and I scratched my head and I was thinking to myself, well, when did it rain? How is it that it's not the driest month? Because where I live, I want to tell you, in the month of August, I don't remember it raining. It's like someone's just turned the tap off. And I tell you what, if you're not worried about that, you ought to be. Because in the not too distant future, Sydney will run out of water. And I ask myself, what will happen when Sydney runs out of water? Listening to the news the other night, Channel 7, telling me that in Brisbane, they will be out of water by next Christmas unless we have a significant increase in the rainfall. The tap's been turned off. You've just got to walk around or drive around Sydney streets and you can see the lawns going brown and the gardens wilting and even even the Australian garden, gardens with the Australian plants are wilting and dying. Oh yes, we've got some things to worry about. This drought, there's of course uh, the oil crisis. I, I've got to tell you this afternoon, I praise God that two, three months ago I sold my thirsty big V8 and went and went and bought a, a little Honda Civic, which runs, praise the Lord, on the smell of an oily rag. You know, I'll tell you something. They're saying that by the end of the year, and I don't know whether this will happen or not. I, in fact, I pray to God it won't. But they're saying that by the end of the year, oil will be 100 US dollars a barrel. You're looking at a dollar seventy plus a litre. And that is causing... Business, that is causing the stock market great concern. Of course, we've got terrorism. Everybody's worried about terrorism. Who of you, if you're not travelling in a train, travelling in a train to the Royal Easter Show just a little while ago, I was with my family. You know what kept going through my head? What do you think it was? Well, I hope there's not a terrorist on this train going to blow it up. I got stuck. I'm a little bit claustrophobic. I got stuck in the Sydney tunnel not so long ago. I was not a happy boy. I get a bit claustrophobic as I said, but what do you think I was a little concerned about? Terrorism. Everywhere you go, you can't go to a football match a sporting fixture, you can't travel on public transport. Everywhere you go, you look into the faces of people, into their eyes, and there's real fear. Fear of a terrorist attack like we saw in London just a few months ago. Oh yeah, we've got reason to worry. And then, of course, there's natural disasters. You know, I thank God that I live in a country 
that is not being plagued too much by natural disasters. And you saw last week for yourselves on the television screen the terrible things that are happening in New Orleans in the United States of America. I don't know whether you realise, but at the same time that New Orleans was being battered by Hurricane... uh, What was that hurricane's name? See, you all know. Hurricane Katrina in, in, in China, they were being battered. A million people were moved by a typhoon. Did you realise that? Which has arguably done as much damage to the coast of China where it hit as the hurricane in New Orleans did. And there is an increase, an upsurge of devastating natural disasters. I said to my wife the other night, I'm glad I'm not in the insurance business. How would you like to be in insurance paying out over $30 billion for the damage that has been caused to New Orleans? A city that if the United States government is not prepared to, may never be built again. I'll tell you something this afternoon. This tragedy is still unfolding. And we're yet to see how many thousands of people have died. And we're yet to see how many hundreds of thousands of homes have been destroyed. That, that, that hurricane has gone in and it has raised an entire city, a big city, 1.3 million people, raised it to the ground. And we just pray that, that, that there aren't thousands who have died. And we, I guess we may never know, but we will have a rough idea in the next week or two how, how that tragedy will play out. And it's worrying people. Of course, we have, we have uh, Wall Street, the stock market. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a stock market expert. I know we do have some that attend this church, so I must be careful what I say. But it is the stock market, the only thing I have on the stock market is my, is my um, pension, my superannuation. And I guess the way things are going, uh, I pray that if Jesus hasn't come that my superannuation is done all right. But the stock market is up and down and there is that constant fear on the stock market of a collapse that will devastate the world. And will devastate Australia. And we have, we have come to depend on the stock market, on the companies that are listed on the stock market. They are important now to life itself. And if you get some big companies like Coles or Woolworths suffer some sort of stock market reversal and they have to close down, you don't have to be Einstein to, to see the, 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 you don't have to be Einstein to see that what could happen to us in Australia. And there are worries with, the, with, with Wall Street and the stock market. Of course, there's worries about war. And it seems that every second day there are people marching in the streets, rightly or wrongly, I don't know, but worried about the war in Iraq. My father was a chaplain in the US Army and I visited him in Europe just a year ago. He's since retired. And I'll tell you what, it was a sobering thing to go to worship on a Friday night with a bunch of American soldiers and sailors' wives and see the fear and, 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 and the dread on their faces as they worried about their men in Iraq. Yes, we've got lots of things to worry about, falling house prices. Or uh, we could go further and say, crime. I've just come back from Papua New Guinea. The crime up there is, is staggering and 
it scares me. I have some fear myself when I see the way that crime is increasing in this beautiful city that I live in. When I see people being innocent people, walking along and being stabbed, some of them hit, falling there, falling down and, and, and dying from, from thugs, robberies and, and, and terrible, terrible crimes being perpetrated in our city against innocent women. It would be a good business, the security business, to be in today. I'm sure you'd make much money because people are worried. We have many things to worry about. And yet, you know, I've got to tell you that as I stand here this afternoon, although these things concern me, I don't have too much fear. And I don't worry too much about the future. And I want to tell you why. 2,000 years ago, a man called Jesus Christ, a man who came from heaven, who was God himself, sat on a mount, the Mount of Olives, just outside of Jerusalem, And his 12 disciples sat around him. His 12 followers. There is something wonderful. There is is something powerful about Jesus Christ. Because not only was he a man, but he was God and he could see off into the future. And his disciples, his followers, recognised this. And as they sat on the Mount of Olives, which in those days had no buildings on it, the beautiful grassy mountain, his disciples said to him, Jesus, Master, Tell us what it will be like at the end of the world. Tell, it will, what, tell us what it will be like just before you come back. And so Jesus sat down with his disciples, with his followers, but he wasn't just talking to those 12 men. He was talking to the whole world. He was talking to you in this church this afternoon. He was talking to our community, to Australia, to the entire planet. And he sits down and he says, and he knew his words would be read by billions of people throughout the annals of time. And he says, he says, and he says it in Matthew 24 verse 6, he says, I'll tell you what it was like at the end of the world. He said, well, even before I go there, I I, I want to, I just want to show you this. And I want to say it again. And I want to bring it home to you. Jesus is in what? We're going to look at some frightening things this afternoon. I don't want to scare you. I just, want to, I just want to present to you the reality of the world, that Jesus knew the reality of the world, and that Jesus knows it proves that Jesus is in what? He's in control. He holds the world in his hands. There are some bad things happening. There are some things happening that he allows, but never, never forget. The Bible makes it very clear. Jesus is in control. Now, this is what Jesus said it'd be like at the end of the world. He says, you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. Now, there have always been wars and there have always been rumours of wars. But I want to tell you the difference is that in 2006, we are seeing more wars. We are seeing the frequency so hot. We are seeing more people die per year of war than at any other time in the entire history of the world. Jesus said, just before the end of the world, just before I come, and we'll find out what that means in a minute. He said, you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. So I went back in history. Last hundred years, I asked myself, what has happened in the world in the last hundred years? How many major wars have we had? Well, we had World War I. 
My uncle Bert, my grandmother's cousin, fought in World War I. He went to Gallipoli, then he went across to France. Somehow he made it through the entire war. I told the children of this church a story one day about how Uncle Bert had a little pocket Bible. And one day he was shot and he, he fell back into the mud and he thought he was dead. But the bullet had lodged itself in his Bible. His Bible had saved his life and, and, and I remember visiting his house and seeing in a frame that old Bible with the bullet that had lodged and saved his life. So I guess you could say the Bible saved your life in more ways than one. 20 million, 20 million people plus died World War I. Then we had World War II, brutal war. A madman, Adolf Hitler and his Nazi henchmen killed over 50 million people. The world had never seen wars like these two. These wars to end all wars. But you remember Jesus said at the end of time, you'll hear of rumours of wars and there will be not war, but wars, plural. We would have thought men had learnt their lesson after World War I, but not long after World War I, this is just before I was born, we went into Korea. Again, hundreds and thousands of innocent lives lost. We still hadn't finished. We went in there. <coughs> Excuse me. We then went to Vietnam. Australia in all these wars. Australia involved, I remember as a young man, I started work as a builder and I'd go to work and I would meet Vietnam vets. These guys were only 15, 20 years older than me. And even back then, and this is in the 80s, these men were shattered, ruined hulks. Shells of men destroyed by war. And I didn't follow Jesus back then. But I remember thinking to myself, I, I want to pray to God that I never get sent to war. And of course you would have thought Vietnam was the end of it, but then you have the, the first Gulf War. Went to college with a young man in America called Bart. He was there on a, on, on a US Army scholarship for the Marines. I used to say to Bart, you want to be very careful, man. You come to college with the Marines, it's true they pay you through, but you have to give them five years service. You've got no guarantee you won't be sent to war. Well, Bart used to laugh at me. But he didn't laugh when he was called out of college to go and fight Saddam Hussein in Iraq. Praise God, he made it back alive. We still want to fight. And so we have the second Gulf War, a war that is still going on. Of course, we have the war on terrorism, a war I don't think that can be fought and won until Jesus comes back and ends things. We will face this enemy, I believe, until Jesus returns. Very serious. They're the major wars. But look at this quickly. What about the unknown ones that killed millions over the last century? The Russian Revolution didn't kill thousands, killed millions. In fact, let me tell you something. Stalin, the political son of Lenin, who was the originator of communism in the Russian Revolution in, in Russia, 1916, 1917, Stalin killed more people in war than did Adolf Hitler. And then you, you, you go on very quickly, the Spanish Civil War. Have you heard of that? 
Just before World War II, hundreds of thousands of people killed in this war. These are the wars that Jesus said will be at the end of time. One after another, boom, 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 there is no rest. The whole world, it seems, is at war and and you can just keep going on. There's the Azerbaijan-Armenian conflict in the old Soviet Union, which is still going on right now. You can go to the Sudanese war between the Christians in the south and the Muslims in the north, still going on. You can go to the recently finished Bosnian war, terrible atrocities, still digging up mass graves. Hundreds of thousands of people died. You can move on to the Serb-Croat war, you can go to the Irish Republican war in Ireland, it's just ended it just goes on and on you can go to the Angolan civil war in Africa, still going on these are conflicts that have killed millions, you can go to the Colombian drug war, still happening right now, you can go to the Afghanistan war where we have in Australia just sent soldiers in the last few weeks this is an example of the unknown wars that we rarely look at. You want to, I want to tell you something. Jesus knew what he was saying when he said just before the end of the world, there will be an increase, an intensity, a frequency of wars that will boggle the human mind. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said there will be wars and then he says and there will be famines, earthquakes, and pestilences. Did you know that two thirds of the world, and there are six billion people plus on this planet, that's four billion people plus go to bed hungry every night. Did you know that 20,000 people a day die of hunger related diseases? 20,000 people a day? Jesus said, just before the end of the world. We need to listen to what Jesus said. Just before the end of the world, there will be famine, there will be hunger. He said, there will be earthquakes. I studied in San Francisco. I left San Francisco in July of 1989. Late 1989, there was a terrible earthquake, some of you remember, in San Francisco that killed hundreds of people, destroyed much of their city. It was a sobering thing to sit back in Australia and look at one of the cities that you love and have lived in being destroyed by an earthquake. And yet I can list off to you Russia, Japan, China. Did you know there's been an earthquake in Australia in the last few weeks? Did you know that? Down towards Adelaide? New Zealand, the whole world it seems, it seems the tectonic plates that hold our world together are constantly on the shift and earthquakes are such a common thing now that they barely make the news. And Jesus said, he said just before the end of the world there's going to be wars, he said there's going to be famine, he said there's going to be earthquakes, he said there will be natural disasters like you wouldn't believe. And I want to tell you, that what we are seeing in the world today, we ain't seen anything yet. I, I, I know a lot of churches and a lot of pastors getting up the front and saying the world will get better. Well, I'm here today to tell you, and it's a sad thing and I wish that I didn't have to say it, but I'm here to tell you the world will not get better. It will just get worse. 
We will continue to see the, the frequency and the intensity of these natural disasters which are plaguing our planet. We will continue to see them grow. There will be more of them. They will be bigger, they will be fiercer and they will kill more people. Oh, Hurricane Katrina, I tell you, that has sobered me this week. How can you watch that on television, see those people in a first world country that's supposed to have everything, sitting on their highways, on their roofs, thousands of them drowning in their attics. No rescue, no food, no water. And to see the violence and to see the looting, that's got to be a wake-up call to us. Jesus says this will happen. I don't know whether you realise, just here in the, in the last week or so, we've had Portuguese bushfires. Did you know that Portugal is suffering the worst drought in their history? Did you know that? Bushfires sweeping, uncontrolled bushfires sweeping across Portugal, not killing, not, not, not destroying hundreds, but thousands and thousands of homes. You, you have, of course, and we've talked about it already, the Australian drought. Or, or, or Typhoon Talum in China. I told you already, a million people displaced by this typhoon. Thousands and thousands of homes and livelihoods and businesses destroyed. We are seeing storms of a magnitude that have never been seen in the history of the world. It's like the entire planet is breaking down. And it's not just Christian pastors that are saying this. It's a president of the United States reflecting on the news saying we have never been struck by disasters like we are now. The hurricane season in America normally brings four hurricanes. Do you know how many they've had this year? Eleven. Eleven hurricanes decimating Florida, decimating the Mexican Gulf. Jesus says this is what's going to happen. You see, when the world's under Satan's rule, it breaks down. And what we're seeing is 6,000 years of Satan's rule. The world is coming to an end. And we're seeing the breakdown of our world, both environmentally and otherwise. Of course, we, we could just keep going on with the natural disasters. The Spanish bushfires, not, not dissimilar to the Portuguese ones. Massive European floods, Switzerland, Germany, Austria, these countries of Central Europe just last week suffering the worst floods. Does this sound familiar? The worst floods they have ever suffered. Hurricane Katrina, the worst natural disaster, the worst flooding, the worst storm America has ever been cursed with. You don't have to be Einstein to see something's going on here. Polar, polar ice caps melting. And we're not talking about icebergs that are in the sea. We're talking about polar ice caps that are on land. And as they melt, islands are going to begin to disappear. We're going to see our coastline come under intense pressure. Huge Turkish floods last week. The biggest in the history of Turkey. Sounding familiar? Jesus says all these things are going to happen before I come. He said, before I come there'll be war. He said, before I come there'll be an increase in intensity and frequency of famine. He said, there'll be an increase in, tense, uh, an increase, uh, in frequency and intensity of natural disasters. And look what he says here. He says, there will be pestilences. SARS. Have you heard of that? Wreaking havoc. 
not so long ago in Japan, in Asia, threatening to close entire economies down. AIDS, oh, it's a savage pestilence, a savage virus. Just come back from New Guinea, our next door neighbour. And that country is being brought to its knees by AIDS, a terrible, terrible virus disease. There's Ebola, that terrible disease that that melts the internal organs and and is almost always fatal. There's there's the bird flu. I don't know whether you were listening to the news just a week or two ago where John Howard, our Prime Minister, said, make no mistake, if the bird flu continues to go airborne and spreads, he said, I will close down the ports here in Australia. I will close, this is John Howard, he said, I will close down the airports. He said, I will close all exits and entries to this country. Why? Because John Howard recognises that if this sort of disease gets into Australia, this sort of virus, this sort of sickness, that it will kill not thousands but millions, millions of people. My wife has worked in infection control in New Zealand and she would go to conferences And she would come home with stories and I would listen to her amazed as she would speak about how the infection control experts of our world have great fears about some of these deadly viruses going airborne. And rational, sane scientists, doctors, medical professionals would sit in these conferences and they would talk about the dangers of AIDS going airborne. Can you think of anything more horrifying? Or Ebola? Or even the common flu, which killed millions and millions of people just after World War I. They're waiting for another pandemic of the flu. The simple common flu. Jesus said, listen, just before I come, there's going to be a time of great fear. And you will see these pandemics. They will sweep around the world and they will kill millions. And it it will cause great trouble and great worry amongst the, the majority of the people of this world. Oh, it's what the Bible says. Two great chapters, Matthew 24, Luke chapter 21. Go home and read them for yourself. Matthew 24, Luke 21. If you don't own a Bible, then don't leave this church tonight without one. You get one at the front door as you walk out. This is what Jesus says in these two great chapters will happen in the world just before the end of time. I want to just share one more thing with you because we could spend hours this afternoon talking about how Jesus describes our world will be at the end of time. But Paul, the apostle, one of Jesus' very own converts, Paul struck down a persecutor of God's people, struck down on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus. And Jesus said, Paul, Paul. Paul struck him off his horse. Saul it was, sorry. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And it was Jesus himself that came down and took Paul, renamed him Paul, took him out into the desert. It's an interesting story how Jesus sat down. Jesus had already risen gone back to heaven. This is a supernatural experience for Paul. Jesus sat down and taught Paul, taught Paul the scriptures. And this is what Paul says under inspiration with the Holy Spirit in his mind. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. We're living in perilous times. 
And they're only going to become more perilous. Why are they perilous? Well, Paul doesn't talk about natural disasters. He doesn't talk about famine and war. He doesn't talk about about all these things that we've been looking about, about floods and about pestilences. He says, no, this is in the last day perilous times will come. Why? For men, not the weather. For men, not a pestilence. For men will be lovers of themselves. Tell me whether this doesn't describe our day. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Is that not a description of our day? He gives a whole list here. He says, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a great fan of John Brogdon. I'm actually a pastor that tries to stay very neutral with his congregation and with the people I work with. When it comes to politics, I believe people vote for who they want and they've got a right to. And I feel very uncomfortable when I see the Australian church interfering in politics. It's not what God called the church to do. I couldn't help though feel some sympathy for John Brogdon this week. Sure, he made some terrible mistakes and did some terrible things. There was a fair bit of slander in what he faced and not a lot of goodwill. The Bible says they'll be unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. What is wrong with these people in, in New Orleans? Just faced a terrible flood. Bodies in the street floating down, down, down what was the main street in New Orleans and they're breaking into shops and stealing televisions and videos and DVDs and cameras. What is wrong with them? I'll tell you what's wrong with them. They're without self-control. Forget about, if you want, this concept of having Jesus in your heart and what a difference that makes you to your life. There are decent people out there that are still to meet Jesus, but they're becoming less and less. And what's happening is the Holy Spirit's being withdrawn from our world. The Holy Spirit who touches people's hearts and there is no self-control. There is nothing holding people back from wickedness. New Orleans facing the greatest disaster in the history of America and we've got people running around shooting guns at rescue helicopters. There's a world out of control. People, no self-control. All that matters to them is who's got the bigger gun and if you've got a bigger gun, well, I'll do what you say. I couldn't believe it when I heard these sorts of things happening to that poor town, that poor city where there are so many people suffering to be cursed by these sort of men and women in the middle of a crisis. is unbelievable. But it's what Jesus through Paul said the world will be like. Brutal! You know, in my community, and I live in Kellyville, in the northwest of Sydney, in the last three or four months, there have been 19 attempted abductions of children under 12 years of age. I can't let my children play in the front yard of my house. What is happening to this world? Out of control as Jesus' spirit is withdrawn and the spirit of Satan who claims to be the king of this world takes over people's hearts and lives. There is no restraint on their behaviour outside of God. 
If they don't have God in their lives and they're out of control, brutal despisers of good traders, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And how I wish the messages I'm given here are messages of life. And how I wish we could fill this church up so that people could hear how to live for eternity like they fill Stadium Australia up for an all-black versus a Wallaby football match or a State of Origin football match between Queensland and New South Wales. See, lovers, God says, they love pleasure. There's nothing wrong with pleasure except when you love it more than God. That's a snapshot Paul gives us of our world just before it ends. And I want to tell you that our beautiful earth is dying. It is in meltdown. And the pain our world suffers as it breaks apart, make no mistake, this afternoon is a result of Lucifer of Satan. Lucifer is behind all the natural disasters. You better believe it. Lucifer is behind all the wars. Lucifer is behind all the sickness. Lucifer is behind all the crime. But even though we have this demon, devil, angel running amok in our, in, our, in our world, even though we have people in the millions allowing him inside them to influence them, I want to tell you that Jesus, Jesus is still in control. You better believe it. Jesus is still in control. In fact, Jesus says that when you see these things begin to happen, Luke 21, 28, he says, look, he says, look up, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. He says, lift up your heads. He says, I will not let this go on. Lift up your heads. He says, I will bring a stop to it. And he will. And it's called Revelations Rapture. Oh, I hear a lot of, I've got, I've got my television at home with a satellite on the roof poked up towards a satellite. I get seven religious channels. Two of them are Adventist ones. The rest are other religions of all sorts. I hear pastor after pastor, preacher after preacher getting up and talking about the rapture. Yeah, they say all these bad things are going to happen and they list them off just like I have. They said as these things happen, they say the same as I just have. Look up, lift up your head. Jesus is coming. You will be raptured. You know what they mean when raptured? They mean that you will just disappear from the face of the earth. Airline pilots who love Christ flying their airline from Brisbane to Sydney will be raptured from out of the airline pilot seat to heaven. I don't want to be on that plane, do you? Bus drivers, train drivers, it's going to be a disaster if what they're saying is true. We'll be raptured to heaven. Just disappear off the face of the earth. A husband will be sleeping next to his wife and all of a sudden she'll be raptured. And he'll be left lying in the bed by himself. And they're preaching it with intensity and they're preaching it with power and millions and millions of people are listening to them. But I want to tell you, it's not what the Bible says. I'll show you in a minute. It's not what Revelation says. Oh yeah, there'll be a rapture. Make no mistake about that. Jesus is very clear in the Bible. 
about how he will bring this world to an end. Jesus is very clear, very, very clear about how he will stop all the violence and the crime and the natural disasters and the out of control, brutal men and women who walk this planet. I want to tell you, it's no secret rapture. Look at me for a uh, look, look with me for a few moments in the Bible as we look at this as we bring this program to a close. Jesus says in Matthew chapter twenty four verse thirty. Remember, he's just said now when you see these things, look up, look up, look look where, look up, lift up your head, don't look down, look up because your redemption draws nigh. It's coming. How will it come? Verse thirty. Look at it. Look at what the Bible says. Let the Bible challenge you on this, not me. Not some pastor on a television program or in another church. Let the Bible challenge you. Look at what the Bible says. This is an urgent message. And it's a life-saving message for you. Matthew 24 verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will appear in the heaven. Will appear where? In the heaven. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They've got to see him if they're going to mourn. While they mourn because they don't want to see, they don't want to see Jesus coming back to earth. These are the wicked. These are those without self-control, the brutal, the despisers of good, the lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, dare I say, and it's a tragedy, the majority of the world. And when Jesus comes the second time, see, he's already been once when he came to the cross, and we're going to look at that in a couple of weeks' time. But when Jesus comes the second time, it'll be an alien invasion for most. They won't want to see him. The Bible says, and they will see the Son of Man coming. They will see the Son of Man. This is not a secret rapture where people just disappear, praise God. You can fly in those airlines in safety. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power, great glory, or this will be an event. What will he do? He will send his angels with the great sound of the trumpet and they will gather together his elect, those he loves, from the four ends of the earth, from one end of heaven to the other, from one end of the sky, from one end of the world to the other. This is going to be a tremendous day for those who love Jesus. A horrifying day for those who don't. Revelation 1-7, here we go, Revelation rapture says, behold, Jesus is coming with the clouds and, 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 and every eye will see him. It doesn't say some. Every eye will see Jesus when he comes. People say, how ridiculous, Lloyd. It's not ridiculous, it's in the Bible. All I can say is that if I can go home tonight and turn the television on and watch the Wallabies beat the All Blacks, and that's been played in Auckland. Some of you are laughing because you know what a joke that is. It's being played in Auckland, what, two, three thousand miles or kilometres away, live on TV, without puny minds and without puny knowledge. Don't think that when Jesus comes, he can't make the whole world to see. Will he flatten the world out? I don't know. Maybe he'll sweep around the world. All I know is the Bible says, Revelation says, that the rapture, the biblical rapture, the rapture that Jesus talks about to his disciples, the Bible says every eye, every eye, every living person will see it. Well, it doesn't finish there. Here is perhaps two of the greatest texts in the Bible that describe the second coming of Jesus, the end of our world, the end of all the natural disasters and the violence and the crime and the wars and the pestilences. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself, Jesus, will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. You remember we said in the previous meeting that when you die, you sleep. The Bible says when Jesus comes back, if you died, praise God, those of us who have lost people we love. And we know they love Jesus. The Bible says, hey, God's coming back. And when he comes back, he will rise the dead who loved him first. Wow. I told those of you who belong to this church, my my mother-in-law lost two little babies. One was just had a little bit of jaundice and was left outside in the sun and they forgot her. They realised the next morning and came and got her and she died an hour or two later of, of uh, infection that had come into her chest from being out in the night air. Another one had terrible cerebral palsy and died a, a, a few hours after he was born. You know, Jesus is going to raise those little babies up. Angels that belong to those babies are going to bring them to my mother-in-law and they're going to give it to her and they'll be weeping. Those of you who've lost wives and husbands, even worse, children, to know that when Jesus comes back, they'll rise up from the dead and you'll be reunited, never, never to be, never to be separated by death again. No more tears, no more pain, no more disasters, no more pestilence, no more sickness. No, no more floods. It says, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, verse 17, then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds, caught up in the clouds, up in the air to be with the Lord and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And verse 18 says, comfort one another with these words. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all die, but we shall, when Jesus comes, be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and there it is again. The dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. If you're alive in the twinkling of an eye, you'll be changed. If you die, praise God, you'll wake up from the ground at the voice of Jesus who created you once and will recreate you again. And you will raise up perfect. Oh, I look forward to that day. It's gone. No diet. Gone. No scars on this ugly nose of mine. Chiseled down, I'll be a good looking 12 foot tall, I hope. Handsome boy. Diane will say, that's my wife. I never knew you could look so good, Lloyd. Changed into a body that is immortal. Changed into a nature that is incorruptible. Cannot be tainted. Cannot be tempted by sin. Never to fall again to the temptations of Satan. I can't wait. Can't wait. And when I see a Palestinian father carrying his little baby girl, the same age as my Danae, four years of age, with her left leg blown off, And bullets all through her chest. And tears streaming down his face. I'm saying, Jesus, come. Stop it. When I see the people in New Orleans suffering, old people perishing, babies drowning, I'm saying, Jesus, come and stop it. Stop the rule of Satan. Come back. Come back and take us home. Revelation 6.14 says, Then the sky receded like a scroll. See, this is Revelation's rapture. 
when it is rolled up and every mountain and every island was moved out of its place. You can't miss the second coming of Jesus if you're alive. And the kings of the earth, the rich men, the great men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountain and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. You don't know Jesus Christ. This is a horrifying time. And this picture, when I found it, haunts me because this is a picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And there you can see the husband, the father, he's ready to meet Jesus. And he's got his arms in the air and you can see the expectation in his body language. Jesus has come back to me, for me. And yet his wife obviously didn't have a walk with Jesus. Didn't know Jesus. And she's not ready. I want to tell you today that you make a decision. You make a decision on whether you'll be there or not. You can... Put your head in the sand and pretend that this isn't going to happen. But I want to tell you that God sat on a mountain with his 12 disciples 2,000 years ago and everything he said would happen at the end of the world is and has happened. And just as he was right in what would happen at the end of the world, so he'll be right when he says, I am coming again. And he's coming back for those who love him, those who have a relationship with him. Look, I, I wish I didn't have to show you this text. But as people are coming to Jesus, they often ask, well, when Jesus comes, if we rise up into the sky, those of us who love the Lord, if the dead who love the Lord are raised up and they go up into the sky to be with Jesus, what happens to the wicked who are alive and stay on the earth? And at that day, the slain of the Lord shall be from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall become refuse on the ground. It sounds a terrible thing. It will be a great slaughter. I wish there was some other way. But when I see a Palestinian strap bombs to his body and go and blow up school children. When I see an Israeli soldier shoot dead, as I've already shared with you this afternoon, a four-year-old girl. When I see in Iraq wicked, brutal terrorists and they are wicked and they are brutal and they are demon-possessed, walk into a crowd of innocent fellow Iraqis and blow hundreds up. When I see stampedes of fear like I saw this week, where how many? A thousand people died on a bridge in Iraq in fear of a suicide bomber. When I see those Islamic extremists killing thousands and thousands of innocent, it is thousands of innocent Christians in Sudan. When, 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 when I see these natural disasters Environment, uh, global warming, I don't know why, sweeping across the planet, killing thousands and soon you're going to see them kill millions. When I see the wickedness and the brutality and the lack of self-control in this earth, when I see every attempt of man to bring peace fail, I know, and it is a sad fact, that the only way Jesus can bring this to an end is to put an end to the life 
of the men and women who perpetrate these great crimes on each other right round the world, regardless of race, religion, gender. There is only one way to stop it. And it's for these people together with their master Satan to cease to live. It's cruel, it's sad, but it's how it has to be. And when Jesus comes, they're not changed. They never chose him. And when they look up into the sky, Jesus is Jesus coming. I wish I had more time, but I'm out of time. Jesus coming is brighter than a thousand suns. They look up into the sky and the intensity and the brightness and the glory of Jesus burns into their wicked, sinful hearts and they fall down dead. And the Bible says from one end of the earth to the other, the slain of the Lord will lie on the ground and they'll not be buried and they'll become rubbish. This world has sobering times ahead of it. But this battle, make no mistake, between good and evil is coming to an end. I can tell you now, Jesus is going to win it. And you choose whether you're going to be with the winner, Jesus Christ, to experience heaven on earth as you live now with Jesus in peace. Or to walk with the devil and go down his out of control, brutal way. And I choose Jesus. The Bible says in John 14, verse 1 to 3, and this is Jesus speaking, in my Father's house, Many mansions, talking about heaven, where he's going to take us. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus says, I will come again and where I am, there you may be also. Don't you want to go there? Don't you want out? I do. I told you that I gave my heart to Jesus when I was 26 years of age. Since that day, and it was as simple, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in San Francisco, up in the mountains behind San Francisco, at a college there, just up from the Napa Valley. I was on a tennis court on a Saturday night. I was thousands of kilometres from home. I was lonely. I had no friends. And in the middle of winter, and it was cold, I knelt on that tennis court, and I said, Lord, there's no one else I'll have you if you will have me. And since that day, Jesus came into my heart that night and it was a glorious thing. Oh yes, I've fallen, I've done many things that have let my master down, but I want to tell you the one overriding thing that I have had and I have lived through some bad times since 1989. Think to yourself of what the world has gone through. Since that time, the overriding thing I have had and I will not trade it for anything is the peace of Jesus Christ. You can't buy it. Jesus will give it to you. Oh yeah, we're headed for tough times in this world. Jesus is in control and more than that, if you let him, he'll come into your life. He will be in control of you and no matter what happens, you will have peace. There can be a pandemic sweeping through Australia. You will have peace. Oil can go up to $200 a barrel. In fact, we can run out of oil. You will have peace. The stock market can collapse. Our outlets of food, of all the goods that we have, can dry up. You will have peace. Don't you want that? And you can have it. And it is a simple process. You don't have... Now, now don't Adventists, don't take me wrong here tonight, but I'm just telling you, you don't have to be... A Seventh-day Adventist, listen to me. You just have to get on your knees and say, Jesus, 
The world's gone crazy. But I'm asking you tonight to come into my heart. You want to pray that prayer with me? Bow your heads. Follow me in your mind. Lord, the world's gone crazy. We have much to worry and much to fear about. Yet tonight we invite you into our hearts. Give us the peace that only you can give. Help us to walk through the troubled times of this world with no fear. But mostly tonight we call you into our hearts. Take residence there, Lord. Give me peace. And help me to face the troubles with you. In Jesus' name, Amen. It's a simple thing to let Jesus into your heart. And he calls for each of you to do it. And if you do, and there's nothing that this world, and there's nothing that the devil can throw at you, that together with Jesus you won't be able to handle. So leave this place knowing this. The world is out of control. It is coming to an end. Jesus will come. You can walk through the troubles and the trials ahead if you just invite Jesus in your words into your heart morning and night. He is a real God. He is alive. He will hear you and he will come. I praise God for that because he comes to me every day. Next week, oh, it's an interesting topic. Israel, America and Islam. Very interesting. I want to invite you back. Thanks for coming this afternoon. Remember, if you don't have a Bible, please get it on your way out. If you would like Clifton, Clifton, I want you to stand up, brother. He's the other pastor here at this church. Or myself to come and visit you and talk further about what... And it doesn't matter whether you're an Adventist or not. We'll come, right, Clifton? Then Clifton's going to go and stand at the door now. And, and if you would like us to come and visit you, you just go and you just fill in the little, uh, fill in the, the sheet, tear it off and give it to Clifton. Otherwise, have a good afternoon. Happy Saturday for us. It's been a Sabbath afternoon and I look forward to seeing you next week, four o'clock right here in the church.